Mark chapter 13, verses 24. Let me read, and then uh, let me go to where, let me go to the time of prayer, and then go into the message. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. <clears throat> Actually, let me begin by reading from verse 4. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Now, jump down to 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And when he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When the branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore be on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Father God, as we look to your word here and think about what the future holds uh, for this planet and really for your redemptive plan, it is both exciting and terrifying knowing what the future is going to bring for those who have not placed their faith in you. And Lord, I do pray for all of us as we look to the future that's revealed in your word, that we have hope and assurance knowing that everything is in the palm of your hands. Lord, give us encouragement as we look to this text and boldness for evangelism. May it move us to faithfulness, Lord. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, we've been joining us the last several weeks. We've been going through Mark chapter 13, which is really a, the longest answer to one question. Uh, this is why I read from uh, verse 4 earlier, because it was a question that one of the disciples asked. When will the end come? What is the end going to look like? What is the sign that will let us know that this is it? And Jesus answers, this is really called the Olivet Discourse, because it spends a long time answering this. And this is really just the abridged version in Matthew and Luke, there was a longer account of this, and this is really just a summary of what Jesus has said. And, he, and all of this is really to prepare not just the disciples of what the future has in store, but also for the believers throughout time to look to God's word. 
this book, and particularly this section, is fascinating because there's really four audience in mind. There are those that are the original audience, meaning the disciples are listening to Jesus. There were Mark's reader, the people that were reading this, and, then they, uh, and how they interpret what Jesus had to say. There are believers that are from that point until now, which is basically all of us as Christians. And there are also readers that are going to interpret this text during the time of the tribulation. So in God's magnificent wisdom, he is able to write something with four audiences in mind. And Jesus spoke in this way with the intent to let us know what the end is going to be. And I know the studying of the end times can be very complicated and convoluted at times, and sometimes people have certain uh, presuppositions of how they interpret these different texts. Um, last week we talked about how this is the timeline where the rapture is going to happen, and then there's a seven-year tribulation, and halfway through that tribulation there's the, the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist goes into the temple and basically um, does abominable things uh, to try to make himself king of the world. And the result of all of that is that God's going to pour out his wrath. And throughout, after the seven years, this is where the, uh, the story kind of picks up, what Jesus is talking about. But yes, there's debate in terms of what these things are about. I mean, there's, when I was young, when I was in sixth grade, I was in Christian school, and I think they try to scare the students into Christianity. So we watched this film series called the Left Behind series. I don't know if you watched that, but it was... If you watch it now, it's super dated. I mean, it was dated when I watched it. It was really lame. I mean, it was okay, but it's supposed to try and make people think about the future. And then I think because of these types of movies and media that makes, it almost desensitizes the people. Because we do know that the future is, that's revealed in Scripture is going to take place. But how it takes place in terms of our imagination, that's up to interpretation. And oftentimes it may not be 100% accurate. But I remember during that time, our, all of our classmates were thinking about what does the rapture look like, and uh, what is it going to be like, and there was even debates between, is there even going to be a rapture? Is the rapture going to be mid, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? There's different debates there. And in, I mentioned last week how we, even with, amongst that, there's different millennial views. Uh, our church here, we hold to a pre-millennial view, meaning that Christ will return before the millennial kingdom. Uh, there's another view called the amillennial, meaning there is no millennial kingdom. And then there's the last view, which is the postmillennial, meaning Christ will return after a thousand years. If there's some sort of event, and then a thousand years later, Christ is going to return. Uh, our church, again, holds to the premillennial view. We do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, and I think just based on texts like Mark 13, as well as other verses as well, that you can see kind of the, the chronological flow of what Jesus is talking about. I bring all this up to say that even though we have different views with different people that hold to different views, that doesn't mean that they are not brothers and sisters in the faith. There are many Christians that, are, that debate over this. I mean, John Calvin, Martin Luther, they hold to an all-millennial view. Uh, they don't hold to the millennial kingdom. And okay, we still would read their literature. We don't want to cancel them just because they disagree with the end times. But I do think that the end times, often because there's so many different voices and debates about this, that we don't take things... Uh, end time or eschatology seriously. Or we would rather just kind of let whatever happens happen. Um, but the reality is, is when we study this, it actually should give us great encouragement because we know that history is in the hands of God. That history is in the hand of God. Jesus is saying all these things, not just random spewing of trying to get people to be worried about what the end is going to be, 
but it's to give assurance to believers that everything that will happen is under God's control. And that should give us great encouragement. So, for this evening, we're going to look at Christ's return in, different, in three different ways. Christ's return in three different ways. First is that Christ's return is sure. Christ's return is sure. Notice Mark 13, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation. So again, Jesus is talking about what everything has happened already. From last week's message about the abomination of desolation where all of these things will, uh, he's, he's instructing the believers at that time in the future that they, should, they need to run, get out of the Middle East, get out of Jerusalem because it's going to be really bad. And he's speaking that. He's saying after that event, after the, after the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be this cataclysmic event to let people know that Christ is going to, be, is going to arrive really soon. And the disciples that were listening at the time, when they're hearing Jesus talk about this, they had the orders of things that Christ was saying kind of mixed up in their mind. It was a little bit jumbled. They knew that Christ was going to come and bring in the kingdom. They knew that the temple was going to be destroyed, and they knew that Christ was going to die. They did not know which order it was going to be. They probably thought that the temple would be destroyed, then the kingdom would come, then at some point Jesus was going to die and come back to life, not knowing that Christ was going to die first, which is going to be difficult because when they're hearing all of this and in their mind it's not clear yet, when Christ dies on the cross, Later on in the days, so at this point, Mark 13, the Passion Week, this is really the, like, toward the end of his earthly ministry here, they're going to be stunned uh, when Christ is dead. Because they, like, didn't he just talk about uh, the kingdom coming and then all of this stuff happening, and he's dead? So Jesus is giving them just instruction, and we know in the Gospel of John, is that the Holy Spirit will help them remember different things. They'll recall to mind all of the things that Jesus taught them, so they will know what to do in the future. So Jesus here is saying that after, this, after the, the tribulation, uh, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, uh, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Now, uh, these phrases, if you look at certain one of your Bibles, I think from my, the NASB that has all these things like bold, and remember what I said last week, that the bold font doesn't mean that Jesus is screaming. He's not saying, like, he's whispering, also, the sun will be darkened, but this is a reference to the Old Testament. He's trying to paint a picture of what the future is going to hold, what the future has, but he's using Old Testament uh, ink or paint. He's trying to paint this picture with Old Testament paint. This is, should not be new to people that understand the Old Testament. From, uh, from Isaiah 13, verses 10 we see that Jesus is making reference about, Christ, about, his, about the second coming, about the end of the world, Isaiah 13, verses 10. Let me flip there so I can read it to you guys. Isaiah 13, verse 10. This is, again, the prophecy about Babylon. It says here, Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the, to the arrogance of the proud and the, abase the haughtiness of the ruthless man. Uh, Hardness of the ruthless, I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I'll make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in, in the day of his burning anger. And he's, he's talking about how everything's going to be destroyed here. Ezekiel 32, verse 7, 
uh, talks, makes the same imagery. Joel chapter 2, verse 3, same, is, is, again, it's familiar to them. And all of this is to show us that in this event, the cosmos is going to change. Things that uh, the, the stars and people think is just going to be, be you know, stable, everything is going to change. They're going to look up at the sky, and things are going to be in complete chaos. Is that the moon will not give us light, and the stars will be falling? It could mean that asteroids are falling down from the heavens. And it says the powers that are in heaven will be shaken. Yet this is complete devastation of the world. And in, in Revelation chapter 6 all the way to 19, we see all of these events play out in detail. Again, there's a plug for adult 2 in a few weeks because they're going to go through the book of Revelation. But here, uh, Jesus is saying that these things will take place. The world will be completely destroyed. And in, those time, in that time, it's going to be very difficult to inhabit the earth. You can just see from last week's message, the 3.5 years, it's going to be very hard to live in that, on the earth. And it's going to have this end where it's going to be even worse. And the end of the book of Daniel gives us this exact date, of, these two dates. It gives us these two numbers of when Christ is going to come back. And there is a difference between the new two numbers between almost like 50, different, 50 days. Um, and somewhere between that time when all the tribulation is going to happen, that Christ will return. Um, it, it seems, based on this context, that Jesus is saying that it will happen almost immediately after the seven-year tribulation. Um, this is going to be, this is going to, to show that uh, the God's word is indeed sovereign over all things. And when he's telling people what's going to happen, it will happen exactly this way. And there's a continuity between the Old Testament, how they saw the second coming of Christ, to what Jesus is saying in the book of Revelation. There's a connective tissue through all of this that Jesus is going to come back one day. And when he's going to come back, you will know because the world is in total chaos from the cosmos. Verse 26, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. As bad as the world will be, Jesus is still be able to be seen and not be hindered. Because the text right before, verse 25, so there, you know, there's, there's to be, I mean, if you just think about asteroids falling, there's probably dust everywhere, the moon itself is not giving us life, but yet somehow Christ is going to pierce through all of that. And when he comes, people will know, they'll say, that's the Messiah. He is finally here. It says he'll come with great power, this is the ability of Christ, and with glory, meaning his worth, people are going to, I mean, all the believers are going to praise the Lord for him, and all the non-believers at the time will still choose to rebel against him. But this, again, gives assurance to believers because this is a very difficult time. Remember, it says, like, run, get out of there. If you're, uh, hope, hope that, they're, that you're not nursing a child, like, don't go back to your house to get a coat, run. And in those moments, they, when they see the Messiah come, there's this sigh of relief that they can finally be with him. In verse 27, and when he will send forth his angel, gather his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end to the earth, to the end of heaven. Again, this is speaking of the elect that will be in the future. In the future, these believers all over the world, that when they see Christ coming, they know that they're, they're, they're finally going to get rest. And the Lord will send out his angels throughout the four, this here is the four winds, this is the idea of just everywhere all over the world. In the last chap, section that, that we uh, preached on last week, it seems like the emphasis is in, is in Judea or Jerusalem, but just because it's the emphasis there does not mean that the world is not impacted by the things that are going on. 
when things are falling out of the sky, it's not only just regulated to one spot, but the whole world is feeling its, uh, the impact of it. So even though people may, I would imagine if there was technology, it probably would not have worked by then. I mean, last week I heard like some of the cell was hollered and where people were panicking for several hours. Imagine going through several days without any news. But the only thing that they have, and I think the believers then will have God's word. They'll look to this and they'll remember, okay, Christ is coming soon. And they're going to get, they just need to wait and endure just a little bit longer because Christ is going to bring in angels to get them. And the believers at that time who trust in the Lord in the future, God will gather them to to himself. God will gather his own. There's assurance for the believers that are suffering then. And believe me, at that time, even believers are going to be dead. But, the, but for those that are alive, that are still there, they will be, uh, they will be taken up by, by, uh, by these angels. Again, this doesn't mean that there won't be any loss of life, but that there's going to be assurance for them that this suffering that they're going through for the faith, running from the beast and running from the Antichrist and all of those people that want to kill them for their faith, they're going to be, they are going to have this lasting rest in the Lord. They kept trusting the Lord no matter how bad things got, or the bad things, how bad things will be. Again, if we look at this from the argument of the greater to the lesser, and this time in the future, it's going to be a really difficult time. And for those people, they have this assurance that God is going to take them, that they're going to be safe. And for the lesser will be from where we are now in the present day. We're not going through any trials that are nearly as bad as what those future believers are going to go through. And if the Lord is willing to protect them during those hardest times, then for us in the time of ease, the Lord will for sure give us assurance that we're called to really to continue to trust in the Lord. And God is strong even until the end of the earth. And that's where we find our hope. We find our assurance in that God is going to preserve us until the very end. No matter how bad things get in this world, and as bad as things may be, it will not be as bad as what is going to happen then in the future. You might even, things in our political climate and even our world seems like this gets harder and harder for Christians, but it's not going to be nearly as bad as what's going to happen here in the future. Because in the future, God is pouring out his wrath. He's like throwing, he's like throwing the natures and mountains, uh, everything's like seismic shift, everything's just going terribly wrong. And what we go through is so much lesser than what, what they will go through. And the Lord will, will give us, will protect us, he'll guide us, he'll see it. Uh, that will make it to the end. That's why Philippians tells us, he who begins a good work in you will perfect you in the day of the Lord, that he will bring you to the end. That's where our assurance will be, that if God can protect those individuals, he will certainly protect us as well. Verse 29, it said, even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. There's absolute certainty when they see the abomination, desolation, when they see the, the world is falling apart, that Christ is coming soon, that they will cling to Christ and hold on to the Lord no matter how bad things will be. Verse 30, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Now there's always, there's often disagreements in terms of what the word this is, like which generation is Jesus talking about. I think in the context, you can see that he's speaking about that future generation. He's not speaking of the disciples or the apostles, that, that all of the things will happen before they die. He's speaking specifically towards the future Christians. Because people at that time, and even different you know, thoughts in terms of uh, how do we interpret end times, some people interpret this as 
when 70 AD happened, that was the end of the world, or that was the beginning of the end. But here, I would argue that he's speaking of the future, that these future believers, those are the individuals that will make it. Uh, They will not pass away until all of these things take place. The generation in the future, they will see all these events, and the Lord will bring them for their faith in him. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Again, you can imagine somewhere down the line, these believers, somehow they got a hold of Scripture. They get saved. They're reading through this, and that this is what gives them comfort. They know that all of these things have taken place already. Right? They're looking at the, the, the abomination of desolation. Like all of these earthly calamities are happening, and they know, okay, these things are true. So what's, hap- what's going to happen next for us? that the Lord is going to take them. That's why Jesus gives them this assurance that the world will pass away, but my words will not. God's word still stands while the world is falling apart, that his word is absolutely true. Whenever a plane crashes, oftentimes we can interpret just by looking at it or you know, the debris, what it might happen. But all of these things are just interpretations until we look at the black box. When you hear and listen to Black Box, you know definitively what happened. Because you have the recording, they can set, you can get the audio recording of, of the pilots talking about what's going on, and you can interpret it and really know definitively what happened based on the Black Box. It gives them answers. Scripture will be like that for the believers in the future. They will look to God's Word, and it will give, be like the Black Box to them. It will give them this assurance and definite answers of what the future will hold. Because, again, this is God's Word will not pass away. 2 Peter chapter 3, again, this is the passage I referenced last week about those people that say, well, when is the world going to end? Christ hasn't returned yet, so it must not happen. But the reality is that the reason why Christ hasn't returned yet is because he's giving grace to those. He's really showing mercy for those that are still here to turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ. But Christ is not delaying in the way that the world is thinking about delays. Everything is part of God's sovereign plan. So God, the world will pass away, but his words will not. And that should give us hope, which is actually the second point, is that Christ will return suddenly. But of that day or the hour, no one knows, uh, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now this is like the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, their favorite verse to deny the deity of Christ. They think that, oh, see, Jesus doesn't know all things. He's supposed to be son of, he's will be God, right? If he's God, then shouldn't he know all things? Why does he here in this text seem to indicate that there's some things he doesn't know? Well, the answer is actually simple. In the book of Philippians, it gives us this picture of what Christ has done. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5. We'll begin there. Have this attitude in yourself, which also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in all form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, of men. Being found in presence as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what this means is that Jesus, when he put on humanity, he put on human limitations as well. I mean, when he was born, he had to learn how to read. He had to learn how to speak again. It wasn't like he was born and he had all his, his 
all his uh, uh, divine attributes in the sense of his powers. He laid those things aside temporarily to be able to go and live that perfect life. Uh, His incarnation had some restraints and limitations. And the son at this point did not know, but when later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 7, when the disciples ask him again about when all of this coming, he says, it is not for you to know the times of the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, which implies that at that point when he, had, when he came back to life, he knows exactly when that time is going to be, which makes sense because when he came back to life, he's going to, he's able, he has this ability to disappear in front of people and seemingly go through walls and have these unique abilities. that no, He's even able to disguise himself in different ways. He had his, basically his, all his abilities back, but he laid it aside. Uh, some of his uh, he laid aside some of his abilities, but not his divinity. And what must be very interesting in the life of Christ, this is kind of like a tangent, but when Christ was a child, he was reading the Old Testament, and it must dawn on him at some point that all these things are point or he's like, that's about him. He's like, oh yeah, I was there in Genesis. I was there. I was like the, uh, there in the Exodus. I was there throughout the Old Testament. I gave the instructions. Uh, I was there. And when Proverbs talks about how wisdom was there, he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. He's, he sees himself in the text because he was there. And even the prophecy, like, it became, as he was developing physically, and his mind was developing, and he was like studying God's word, he eventually got everything just kind of lined up. I don't know what that was, would have been like, but it must have been really fascinating that even Jesus Christ was reading about himself as he was growing up. But notice, he says in verse 33, see to it, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. He's warning them that you don't know when this time has come. The angels don't know, so be ready. You don't know when that time is going to be, but you need to be ready. And there's a question for us as well, because we know if God is sovereign over all things, that must mean that we need to be ready as well. And it's a question that we need, I would encourage all of us to constantly ask ourselves, do we have a right relationship with the Lord? Are you ready to meet your maker? And I'm not necessarily speaking about the rapture happening, although that is one reason why you need to be ready. I'm just speaking just in terms of if you were to die on your way home tonight, would you be ready to see your maker? Because if you're not, then I would encourage you to understand that, just like how Jesus said earlier, that not one of his word will pass away that everything that scriptures say is going to be absolutely true. And if you reject Jesus Christ, if you, don't have, if you don't have a right relationship with Christ tonight, if you don't have a right relationship with the Lord now, that, you, that today and the moment now is the appointed time that you turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can be ready for either death or the rapture, is, that, is to look to Christ and trust in him for your salvation. Then Jesus gives this illustration. It's like a man away on a journey who, leaving his house and giving authority to his slaves, each one has each one his task also commanded the doorkeeper to stay awake. It's interesting here that he, he's telling them this, what they need to do. I, I find it funny when he says the doorkeeper to stay awake. It's like that's his job. His job is literally just to stay up all time, all, all just to be awake. Um, I don't know if you ever walk past a doorkeeper that's asleep. It's, Fascinating, because then you can kind of walk past them. They don't, you know, they won't greet you. But these doorkeepers, they're, they're almost, they almost, they, they almost have to act like those, those soldiers in front of the Buckingham Palace. You know what I'm talking about? Those dude with the big, long, funny hats. 
Like, they don't move. They don't make any like, facial expression. They just stand there. People take selfies with them. That's this idea here that you're supposed to stay up, be awake, be on the alert, because you do not know when the Lord is going to return. But he says that he's giving authority to a slave, each one, each one his task. It implies that they all have a work that they need to do. That they're not supposed to just sit around and wait for the master to return. That from the time when the master's gone, they have things that they need to do, and they need to be alert. They have a job, and they need to get at it. And we know as Christians that we have a job here as well. And I'm not speaking about your profession and what you do to make money. I'm speaking about the Great Commission, that we are called to go and make disciples of all nations. That is our job. You know, doomsday cults, when they thought that, you know, whatever doomsday cult, whether it was Harold Camping, whoever thought that the world was going to end, at one point, I just use Harold Camping because I remember this happening, when he thought that the world was going to end, Everyone at that in his cult, sadly, they sold everything. They quit their jobs. They sold all the thing, things that they had. They, had, they lived, lived on very minimum because, they, oh, we don't have 100 days left on earth. So they spent all their money just putting these billboards everywhere. They used all their money, and then they were just waiting and waiting and waiting. They're just waiting. And then when it didn't come, they ended up, oh, and I just sold my house. I sold all this thing for a lie, and I have to go and start all over again. Which is funny because if they read Mark chapter 13, it says that no one will know, right? Like, not even angels will know, but yet somehow Harold Camping believed he got it right. But yet, as Christians, until Christ returns, we're called to be faithful with the, with the job at hand. We need to be faithful in doing tasks that God has given us. Go and use the resources, use your talents, use your abilities to, to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Whether it's, again, whether Christ's coming through a rapture or you're dying and you're, you're going to have to meet Christ, either way, we have a gospel uh, mission here to go and tell people and spread the gospel for God's glory. That is our job. And if we're not awake, if we're not alert, we will be in a slumber and God is not pleased by it. In fact, throughout this whole section, it talks about how they need to stay awake, they need to be on the alert. They need to stay awake. This is something that they need to do. Verse 35, therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. This is, again, talking about just how whatever time, at some point, be on the alert, because Christ can come at any time. You don't want to be embarrassed when Christ returns. Thomas Watson had this question that, was, that I, think, I find to be incredibly convicting. Um, but he asked this question, what would you do and how would your life be different if you knew that Christ will come back tomorrow? If you knew definitively, I'm not talking about like Harold Camping or any false cult, I'm talking definitively, you knew that Christ was going to come back tomorrow. How would your life be different today? It's this concept the Puritans call the duty of watchfulness. So and again, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy this life, but I'm saying that there should be something that you're doing that has eternal significance. You should be praying, you should be studying, you should be fighting sin, you should be doing eternal things for the glory of God. You should do everything that would be pleasing to the Lord. That if Christ comes back and you are just doing nothing for his kingdom, would you be embarrassed if the Lord returned? Some, if you would be honest, don't want Christ to return right away because you know that the life that you live is not pleasing to the Lord. 
And if that is you, I will will challenge you to just check your own heart and see what are the things that I need to put away so that when Christ returns, I can say that I did all that I can for his glory. This is why there's this warning in verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. Sleep here is not talking about physical sleep. There's nothing wrong with physical sleep. But again, he's speaking about this spiritual, your spiritual health, that you're not trying to grow, that you're not disciplined on your spiritual life. You're not doing the things, the means of grace, fellowshipping, singing, studying God's word. You're not doing these things that are important that have eternal significance because you are spiritually asleep. This is why he ends with the section that says, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Be on the alert. He says this four times, stay awake, stay awake. And that's an application for every believer, not just the future Christians, but for all Christians at all times. That when we are here on this planet, we need to be alert on what is around us, mainly to win people to Christ. We want to live holy lives so that people can be drawn to Jesus. And we want to be faithful until the very end. So some applicational points. I have a few here. Um, We'll see how much we get through for the sake of time. If we know that Christ is returning, here's one of the things that we should do with this. First, speculating about the end is not faithfulness, but a distraction. Speculating about the end, when that's going to be, how it looks like, is not faithfulness, but a distraction. He's telling us here, and Jesus is telling us here, that we need to stay awake, that we have a job to do. Sometimes I think we spend so much time just obsessing over the debates that we're not going out and doing things with our lives. Again, you know, when you're at work, it's not just that you just think, okay, well, Christ is going to come, who cares, everything burns, and that's it. No, that's not being faithful with the life that Christ has given you. You should know that because Christ is returning, I should be faithful with the task at hand so I can win people to Christ. Don't just stand and wait and do nothing. Use your life for the advancement of the gospel. If you're a student, you're not just studying for the sake of studying. Every time you work on a homework assignment, you're called to be faithful so that you can win people to Christ. You want to be the best student that you can be so that you can, so that, so that you can give opportunity for the gospel because people won't think, oh, Christians are all a bunch of lazy people. I think some people are so obsessed about the future that it becomes a distraction for us. Rather, the future should motivate us to be as faithful as we can to win people to the Lord. Second, the worse the world becomes, the more we should want Christ to return. The worse the world becomes, the more we must look forward to the return of Christ. Philippians tells us we are heavenly citizens. It means that this is not our home. That's why Jesus talks about how he's preparing a place for us, this huge place with many rooms, and that's the place we look forward to. That's this hope that we have. Sometimes our greatest worry when we look at the news is like, we don't get to enjoy this world, but we have to remember that this isn't the place that is our home anyways. Some people wish that the world get better so they can stay on this planet. Sometimes our greatest worry is not being able to enjoy this life because we actually are more like the world than we are citizens of heaven. But we have something far greater for us in the future. We have something far much far better than what this world has to offer. Again, I'm not saying don't plan, don't make plans, don't enjoy this life, but just know that 
everything in this life pales in comparison when we get to be face-to-face with the Lord. When there's this new heaven and new earth, when we'll finally be able to have our glorified bodies, when we get to work and enjoy this planet for how it's supposed to be, that's the future that we're looking forward to. Not the things of this world, because everything in this world passes away. It will eventually crumble, eventually burns. But we know that as bad as this world becomes, we have this future hope. So when the world gets worse, it gets worse and worse, and it goes from bad to worse, and then maybe even growth, birth pangs will have seasons where it seems to be better, we know that the, this is not our home, and that we long to be with Jesus Christ. Third application, that God is in control of history. This is something I said earlier, that God is in control of history, and that should give us assurance. Again, this is not a New Testament concept as well. In Isaiah um, 46, verse 10, this is how Jesus, God is described, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That God is in control of all of history. When we look at how oh, the polar ice caps are melting or the earthquake is happening here or L.A. is being flooded, understand that all of these things will not destroy the world because God is the one that's going to do it. He will use different means. He will, and when he does, people will know because of some, it's an event that no one can scientifically reason other than the fact that like, they don't know and that God is in control. God is in control of all of history. And although that may seem terrifying when you look at Mark chapter 13, it should give us assurance knowing that, again, everything that God promises will come to pass. And it's not just the judgment passages, but also, just the, also the good things as well. When he talks about paradise, being with him in that paradise, the new heavens and new earth, these things will not pass away as well. God's word will be, is our assurance because God is over, is control over all of history. And that should give us not only purpose, but give us assurance that no matter how bad things get in this world, God is completely sovereign over all things because our God is a God that controls all of history. And lastly, I made reference to this earlier too as well, but be ready. Be ready. Don't be like this person that's just sleeping and not trying to use their life and not have any intention with their life. Whether you are a parent, whether you're a spouse, whether you're a single person, dating, whatever it may be, be intentional with your life. But be ready as, as well that the Lord can take you at any time. Be ready. Know that at some point that, that you will either be with the Lord because of death or you'll be with the Lord because of rapture but you need to be ready now. Check your own heart to see where you're at. And that's why James says, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough worries. So just focus on things what matters most. Are you right with the Lord? The most important thing that you need to know, and that's really the, the reason why we still exist, the reason why we came to saving faith, is that we want to be ready when we're standing in front of the Lord. That we, when we stand in front of him, he doesn't say, depart from me, for I never knew you. For us as Christians, we want to be ready, and we want to go and tell other people, too, so that they can be ready, so that they, when these loved ones and friends and neighbors and whoever is in our life that doesn't know Christ, that they can be with Jesus, just like one day we will be with Jesus. So we need to be ready. Be ready. I'm not saying build bunkers or you know, dig wells and you know, find some uh, hiding spots, but be ready in a spiritual sense, that be ready with your life and be ready uh, to meet your maker one day. So, 
we know that uh, Christ is going to return. Is, Christ's return is, is, is sure, is absolutely sure, and Christ's return is also sudden. And that gives us assurance because we hope and long to be able to be with our Savior for all of eternity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word, how remarkable it is that throughout time that you have preserved your word from the Old Testament all the way to the New, that not one of your words will pass away, that this world and the heavens and everything that this and the creator will, will crumble at one point, but your word, word will not pass. And the promises that you've made for those that belong to you is certain. And Lord, thank you for being a God that is faithful. Thank you for being a God that does not lie or change his mind. Lord, we're so grateful that you are this God that we can lean on and trust in, no matter how bad the world may seem. Again, Lord, as bad as the world may be now, it's going to be worse during the time of this tribulation. And I pray, Lord, that this uh, passage will have multiple effects, whether it will make us fear you because of how mighty you are, or will motivate us to go and evangelize the lost, whatever it may be, Lord, use your word to compel us to live in a way that's faithful to you. Lord, thank you for the time that we have to look into the future that's spoken to us by your Son, that's recorded in Scripture for edification and for building up us, up, us up in the faith. Lord, thank you for this time that we have. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we have about 45 minutes or so before our refreshment times, before we break up the discussion groups. Here are the two questions. How does knowing God's control over history give me peace today? And your second question is, how can I make the most of this life knowing that there is a definite end here on earth? Um, similar questions, but I think the idea is that if God is in control and you know that the future, what the future holds, how does that change the way that you think about your present life?